Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we discuss a different topical safeguarding issue with a range of different guest speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone, welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. My name's Georgia, I'm the content manager here at the Safeguarding Company. Really pleased to have Neil Gilmore with me today. So Neil is the founder and technical director of Motiono. Welcome Neil. Thank you, hello. Hello, it's really good to have you here. Um, I was hoping you could start by telling us a little bit about Motional and the work you guys are doing. Sure. Um, so Motional, uh, at its heart, is a, is a measurement system for uh, mental health and well-being. Um, we, um, we have a system where staff, predominantly at schools, can um, very quickly and very simply get a baseline measurement of how their, how their pupils are doing in terms of well-being and emotional health and um, and then we offer some strategies and, and interventions that, that can help uh, improve their scores um, so from the from the staff point of view it gives them uh, activities to do and relational strategies that they can use to, to specifically target the children they're working with and also at a higher level it gives senior leaders the evidence that that this work is being done and what effect it's having on the whole school population compared to other cohorts or other other schools in their cluster. Amazing. So what sort of things would teaching staff record within Motional? Pretty much anything, really. Um, the, the heart of it is a questionnaire. Um, we've got a set of questions that look at different emotional systems in the brain um, and then some uh, higher-level thinking in terms of social engagement, social defence, um, and access to learning, access to life. Um, so the, the, the fundamental is that this questionnaire that teachers answer, um, but also they can record comments about how sessions have gone, how interventions are working, and things like that. So when we talk about the mental health of children, I'm guessing that covers a really broad range of topics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I think there's, a, there's a real taboo or a stigma about talking about mental health because people assume when you say mental health, you mean mental ill health. Yes. Whereas, in fact, there's a good side of mental health as well. So when we talk about mental health in schools, we, we, need, to, we need to change the thing that people think of uh, to cover both ends of the spectrum. Definitely. So can you give me some examples of things teachers might record? Of course, being mindful of um, GDPR and um, making sure it still stays confidential, like no names or anything. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so the, aside from the questions... They might, uh, after an intervention session, they might record how it went, how successful it was. Um, they might upload some pictures of uh, the artwork that was produced or, or other sorts of evidence. Um, so that there's that record in the child's profile emotional so that when we look back and look at the change of scores over time, we can see how, um, how those change depending on intervention sessions, whether there's anything else going on in the child's life. And this is where we're really excited to partner with the safeguarding company yes. to try and um, get some of the more important things that we don't really want to record, but we want to have recorded. Um, and the safeguarding company are the experts in this field. So, so really it's, it's great for us to be able to uh, look at um, passing that information straight on to you. I think it'll be a very beneficial partnership in regards to teachers who use my concern, recording concerns they have about the children. And as we said before, um, like you said, with mental health and well-being, there definitely is a stigma, like you said, about people associating it with negative things like depression and anxiety. 
What are some of the other mental health and well-being things that might be recorded with emotional? Um, well, we look at a few different emotional systems. So we've got um, care, seeking and play, which are pro-social systems. They're about reaching out into the world, reaching out to other people, building relationships. Um, and then we've got uh, blocks to learning, things like rage, fear, panic and grief. Um, and then the, the social engagement, social defence, um, and as I was saying earlier, access to learning. Yeah. Um, so, so these things, we have, we have two different questionnaires. We've got a long one and a short one, depending on how thorough uh, people want the, the assessment to be. Um, and they, they just click on the answers to those things, uh, and then that gives them a really good whole brain view of, of how that child's doing at that time. So with the questionnaires, do the children fill them out or is it filled out by the teaching staff? It will be done by the teaching staff. Um, we're, we're developing a self-reported version, um, but we're keen to do it properly because I think so many self-reported well-being measures in schools are click the happy face or click the sad face. Yes. And, and, and I think that just doesn't give children enough credit for how tuned into themselves they can be. Um, and also, it's just, it's, it's too simple. Yeah. It doesn't cover the, the, the huge range of emotions that, that human beings have. It's weird that we limit it to you're happy or you're sad, mm. when there are really so many other things people can be feeling and sometimes conflicting emotions at the same time. Um, and like you said, sometimes children probably don't have the words to describe and happy or sad, like I'm not either, so what do I do? Yeah. So these systems that have been developed, have you based that on research done, or has it all come from yourself and the company? Uh, it's based on research. It's based on the, the research of a, a professor called Yak Panksep, um, who's a fascinating bloke, um, and he discovered that rats laugh when you tickle their tummies. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and from there he went on to work out that Okay, so, so why do they laugh when I tickle their tummies? And where in the brain does that happen? Yeah. Um, and from that, it was, he discovered that actually we've got different areas for, for different emotional systems, different aff affects. Um, so he's, he's described as the, the father of affective neuroscience. Um, Amazing. So our, our lower brain systems are uh, focused on his work. Okay, good. Mentioning lower brain systems, can we go into a little bit of detail about that? So yeah. I'm guessing if there's a lower brain system, there is a higher brain system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and th there, are, there are several different models of looking at the brain and, and how neuroscience works in terms of tying it in with child development and working with children. And all of these models are lovely, and none of them are particularly accurate. Um, it, so if you ask a neuroscientist about... The, the upper brain and the lower brain, they'll, they'll think you're talking nonsense. Okay. <laughs> um, but the models are really good for getting a point across and, 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 um, and explaining a concept. So there's a part of our brain that deals in more primitive, reactive things. So if you put your hand over the steam of a kettle, you don't think, gosh, that's hot. Your hand's already gone by the time you thought, oh, that's hot. Because yeah. your body instinctively knows, danger, get my hand away. Um, so we've got that same sort of thing when it comes to um, uh, bigger events. Uh, if, we see a, if we saw a tiger coming through the door, um, then that would trigger these big systems and we'd already be, our body would be prepped to fight, flight or, or, or freeze. freeze. Yeah. Um, so it's these primitive systems that are often referred to as, as the older part of the brain or the lower part of the brain. Um, 
And then the, the higher part of the brain is about our cognitive functions, our executive skills, um, language, reasoning, art, all that sort of stuff. Mm. So going back to emotional and the profiles for each child, why do you think it's important for teachers to have access to a record of what children have been through? Oh, great question. Um, in terms of what they've been through, if you mean the trauma that they've had in their life before, we don't necessarily record that. In fact, we don't record that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the interventions yeah. and the changes in their well-being over time that they've been at school or in the setting that the emotional is being used, then I think it's really important because you can, you can tie together um, what you're seeing with what's been happening. So it, it, it makes it really easy to, to query, to, to interpret what's going on. Um, so we present a lot of exploratory data um, when people look at the results of emotional uh, and they can see scores over time. And then with the notes feature that we're bringing in and then with the integration with my concern yeah. that's hopefully in the offing, um, we can show uh, on a line chart where uh, emotional health and well-being scores go up or down. We'll also show um, other things that have happened in their life, whether it's a safeguarding concern yeah. or, a, or a life milestone, um, a grandparent has died. Then that gives us a really good, or that gives staff a really good way of thinking uh, about the child and about the child's whole life rather than just the, the six hours that they see at school. Of course. So then effectively you could probably look back through the history of the child and go, oh, at the same time every year they get stressed around this point. What is causing that? And then you can actually put proactive strategies into place to prevent that from happening. Exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. I wish we had that when I was at school. <laughs> And the, the time we often see this is over, over school holidays. So typically after summer holidays, scores drop um, because the, the emotional regulation and the stability that schools bring um, is, is uh, invaluable. Yeah, that's really interesting. Because I guess for um, some children, if, they don't have, if parents don't have childcare over the summer, where do they go? Mm. A lot of children are dependent on the free meals that school brings. And like you said, the structure of school... So is it like so when we're talking about numbers as we go back into the school year after some holidays, is it quite dramatic the drop in mental health and well-being for children? Yeah, I'd say so. Um, and with emotional, we're not looking at um, we're not what we're most interested in is the change over time. So so it doesn't particularly matter what the scores are. Yeah. But it's the change that's the interesting thing. So if there's a drop by 10% um, in a certain cohort of children and then a drop in 25% in a different cohort of children, why is that different? Yeah. Um, what's, what is it that's the difference there? Um, so then the school can look at, okay, what, what happens differently over the summer holidays? Is it the way that, that one teacher sends the children off or does, does one class get a postcard midway through the holidays or... Um, is there a welcome pack sent or, or something like that? Okay, so now we're talking about not just individual children, but whole groups. Absolutely, yeah. That's so, really interesting. So we can look at different characteristics as well. So you could, in emotional, you could filter by um, children with ADHD or um, children who have a, a, an autistic spectrum uh, condition. Yeah. Um, and then see how that cohort of pupils do compared to the rest of your student population. So you can see whether your uh, your general targeting of 
um, certain children um, is working or not. Wonderful. And then from there, like you said, if you can filter by these different groups, say you can filter by the children who are experiencing really severe anxiety, would it be easy for teaching staff to put measures in place to better support them? Yeah, yeah. So from um, what, what we always recommend is that schools do a, a, a group shot, uh, so a snapshot for, for each class that they have. Um, and if you do that every term, very quickly you've got a complete coverage of every child in the school um, and uh, that gives you a baseline where you can evidence why you're intervening with some children and crucially why you're not intervening with other children. So it ensures that nobody falls through the gaps. Um, it ensures that you've got evidence as to why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And then based on whether that's worked or not during the year, you can decide whether you're going to do the same thing again next year or, or do something different. What are some reasons that teachers might decide not to intervene? Um, resources. If they're, if, there's, if they're time poor or, or resource poor, then there just might not be the possibility to. Um, we often get asked, what, so what, what do we do with these scores? What's good enough? Um, and that's not really our place to say. Yeah. Um, because the teachers know the children the best um, and the school knows the children better than we do. So we just present the information um, and then they can say, right, in terms of priority, we'll take the, the top 10% or we've got capacity to work with three children a week. So yeah. so they can use Motional to, to target those the, that, the resource that they do yeah. have where it's most needed. And I guess then they'd be able to show the governors, like, so in the snapshot, we can see that there are, say, 15 students who really need our help, but because of resource, we can only help five of them. Mm. So then it will hopefully get them more resources the following year to help the others that aren't receiving the care that they need. Yeah, exactly. And and it, it also backs up where staff have a gut instinct about some children that they're working with. Um, it gives them the evidence to go to senior management and say, um, look, we, we could do with some more resources to work with this child because actually this is the evidence behind what we've been saying for a while yeah. um, that we need to help them. So in terms of age range, what ages are currently recorded within emotional so for teachers are we aimed at say like primary level secondary level well there's there's two main areas of emotional we've got the measurement bit yeah um, and then we've got the intervention bit yeah. so in terms of measurement i suspect that these questions will be relevant all through life so yes. one of one of the things i'm fascinated by is how um in older adults and palliative care how can we can we delay the decline of emotional regulation emotional health and cognition using the same techniques that we use to improve the emotional health of of children uh, as they're growing older so in terms of the ages that are currently recorded we've got children from th two or three years old um, in in nurseries uh, all the way through to um, further education, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. Wonderful. No, that sounds good because I agree that, like you said, these are like mental health and well-being. It's not just for children. It's like everyone is going to experience difficulties with their mental health. Um, and we know, we know from uh, evidence and research that's, that's going around at the moment that um, that. The, that a significant proportion of mental health, mental ill health, is developed before the age of 16. 
Um, so if we can if we can target and focus on prevention, then that's going to save a, a huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, and B, uh, it's going to make children feel better yeah. and, and therefore do better. I think that's something we really focus on at the safeguarding company as well. It's this idea of being really proactive rather than reacting to safeguarding concerns. So I guess my next question is around mental health issues. At what point do you think a mental health or a wellbeing issue does become a safeguarding issue? That's a really interesting question. And we could probably, uh, similarly to, to, to how we approach scores uh, on emotional snapshots, I don't think we'll set a level. We don't want to set a benchmark. Um, what we'd like to do is provide the opportunity for people to record things as a safeguarding concern and pipe it through to my concern. Yeah. Um, and we'll definitely be guided by, by my concern and the safeguarding company about what constitutes something that should go through. Yeah. Um, but then you'll have systems in place to, to deal with the severity of those things. Yeah. Um, but part of our system will, will enable them to um, set whether comments are just for the staff team or whether they're just for the safeguarding lead. Um, so we've got those levels of privacy built in. Um, oh, and good, also yeah. the, the idea with the integration is that they'll be able to just check a box and it's, it goes straight to my concerns. So we've got better evidence, better data, which lets us be more effective with our people and our time and our money. Wonderful. You mentioned um, earlier on in our conversation about traumas that children might suffer. Um, what are some examples of that? Well, there was a... The, really, it could be anything that um, triggers the body's uh, defence mechanisms, that fight, flight or freeze uh, response. But typically, we think of trauma as more longer-term things rather than just a brief shock. It's okay. something that's consistently... Um, affecting that child's alarm state. Um, so the, there was a, a study called the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, that talked about things like um, before the age of 24, um, whether certain things had happened, like a parent leaving home, mm. um, a family member dying, um, all the way through to sexual abuse, um, physical abuse, um, but what it didn't cover was things like bullying in schools, yes. um, which is a significant thing these days. Um, so, so I think that's that's a really interesting thing to look at um, and be aware of when we're thinking about trauma. And I think the the most beneficial thing about learning about trauma in children is the fact that it exists and it has such an impact. And we don't necessarily need to know the, what that trauma is or was um, to help them uh, rehabilitate and, and to, to cope with that trauma. Um, and in some ways, we can we risk re-traumatizing by some of the interventions that schools put in place, um, some of the restrictive punishments like exclusions or, or restraints or um, timeouts. Um, if that's not done the right way, that could risk re-traumatising somebody. That's a very interesting point right there. Um, in your personal opinion, what are some of the main mental health concerns that children are facing at the moment? Um, there's so much going on for children. 
Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I'm honestly glad that I'm not a child anymore. Mm. Um, even though my wife thinks that sometimes I'm... <laughs> Your wife would disagree uh, <laughs> with that. <laughs> um, th- th- there's, I was reading on the train about um, eco-anxiety. So, so children are, are, are really aware of um, how the planet is, how the climate is. Uh, there was a study of 10,000 children across the world. Um, 40% of them said they probably won't have any children because they don't think the world's uh, going to be a nice place to raise children really? by the time they're having children. How old were these children who were surveyed? I'm not sure. Oh. I'm not sure. Um, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, 46% of them said that... Uh, um, 46% of them said that eco-anxiety and worrying about the state of the planet and the and the environment affects them every single day. That's, so it's, oh. it's, it's crazy. Um, and, uh, and with access to social media and reporting, we have instant access to news all around the world. Yeah. Um, so 20, 30 years ago, we wouldn't have access that quickly. It would be in the newspaper. Yeah. Um, and you probably didn't read a newspaper as a, as a 12-year-old child. Yeah. Um, but now we, we see it on Facebook, we see it on Twitter, on um, TikTok. We can see people in Ukraine uh, with, with things going on all around them. Um, so having access to that sort of information must be, uh, must be causing a lot of worry yeah. um, and anxiety. It's interesting because I feel like I'm not sure if levels of anxiety are rising in children and young people or if we just have a better understanding of it now. Because I feel like when I was younger, it was definitely like, oh, she's a warrior, he's a warrior. But we never used the word anxious to talk about children. When do you think it changed when we got this better understanding about anxiety and mental health? Mm. Um, I'm not sure is the honest answer. Um, and, and I think it'll. I think you're right in what you're saying, and I think that'll keep happening. Um, the more we understand about... Um, about our brains and about how our brains work and about how human beings are wired up, um, the more that we'll say, oh, right, that's probably this, or yeah. that's likely that. Um, and, and that's evidenced by the rise in referrals to, to um, CAMs and, uh, and, and things like that. Do you think it's also because now there are more open conversations about mental health? So we mentioned at the beginning how there is still a bit of a stigma around people admitting that they're struggling but I would say now compared to 20 years ago the conversations come along a lot and it's all right to sort of talk about you know I am struggling today I need a bit of a break without people perceiving you as oh you're being very weak or you're being silly and like kind of dismissing those issues Mm. yeah that's a good point um I think that it's really important to keep having those conversations um, and to promote talking about mental health, um, not just mental ill health. Uh, Part of the findings of the the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, um, was that having access to to somebody, having access to somebody with whom you could have a conversation, not necessarily about what had happened, um, has a big impact on future care needs. Yeah. Um, so as part of this study, they, they put people in a room with a, an untrained person. They weren't a therapist. They just had a list of questions. Um, and they said, 
how do you feel that what happened to you in childhood affects you now? Yeah. And they just talked about it. Um, and that cohort showed 30% reduction in visits to the GPs, the, the, to the primary care facility, um, a, a similar reduction in visits to the emergency service, to the emergency room. Um, so just by having that conversation and being able to talk about it, um, we, we, can, we can help people to deal with that stuff. Yeah, to be able to process it yeah. rather than being told, like, just get over it. Yeah, yeah just, just stuff it back down and don't think about it. Yeah. Um, what is it that, that um, Elsa's told in Frozen? Um, Let it go. Conceal, conceal, <laughs> don't feel. Yes, um, yeah, exactly. But, uh, but I'm not sure that that's, the, that's what we should be promoting. Yeah. Okay, going back to emotional, do you think by using emotional to track the mental health and well-being concerns and worries about children, it'll reduce workload for teachers? I really do. Um, when we set up emotional, there, there were three key things that, that, we, that we wanted to achieve. We wanted to create a tool that, was, um, uh, that wouldn't cost time, that wouldn't cost too much money, yeah. um, and that worked. Um, so in terms of the time factor, we think that with three hours a year, uh, teachers can get a good, uh, a good view of, of how their whole class is doing. Um, so after doing, the, after doing their initial group shot, from there they can identify which children they want to work with in small groups in the class, um, and we can put together some tailored, some targeted activities and, and strategies for, those, for that group of children. Um, and a TA might take on that, that work at a table with, with certain children. Uh, they could identify that a certain child needs slightly more in-depth support and will be taken out of class for some intervention work with a, with a, um, a SENCO or a, uh, or, or a safeguarding lead or other member of staff. Um, and um, also they can have some uh, preventative, if you like, activities that will support the whole class. Um, so we feel that as well as being able to meet their uh, obligations to um, support mental health and well-being and evidence that, we can actually create uh, action plans and programs that they can print off or look at on the iPad, and that's their lesson plan for, for an hour. Um, so it should save them from uh, having to research and, yeah. and collate resources uh, to do activities that are going to help those children. Amazing. And in regards to um, sharing any of the concerns that have been measured about students, is there the opportunity if teachers need to talk to parents that they can actually show them, like, well, you can see here that here are some of the concerns in, about mental health and well-being that we've recorded with your child, or is it more it just stays within the school between the teachers? It's up to the school, really. Um, it's, it's their data. It's, the, it's their children. Uh, we, just, we just show it online. Um, and, uh, and, and make sure that it's all securely stored and, and encrypted. Um, but they absolutely could share it with, with parents. Um, and there's, I think there's good evidence that that's a, a positive thing to do. Yeah. Um, and parents should always be consulted around mental health and well-being of their, of their children. Yeah. It's always interesting because I think parents don't really realise what goes on with their child with the six hours that they're away from them in school. So be good for parents to have, like you said, that snapshot into how their child is actually yeah. doing. And 
we hear from from some of our users that um, actually parents conversations with parents go very well because if you show that change over time um, that's stored on motional the parents can say oh that's when that's when this happened or yeah. that's when that happens oh that's really interesting and, and it really engages them in into the conversation um, so they can see the benefits of, of going through emotional um, and for older children as well actually we've heard that that they get really um, really into wow so that's that's what that's what's happening in my brain and so oh, if we, so when, when we do the child yeah. as well as teachers okay. yeah. so when we do this it, it changes this part of my brain and oh that's after that's after this happened or I'd had a really good sports day and I was really g'd up for the for the next six weeks I don't know if people say g'd up anymore. <laughs> so what do you think is um it all sounds very positive but for children what will it do them being able to actually see that and understand how they are feeling and how their brain is working um I think it puts it into context um it's if we can see something, then we can talk about it. Um, and if we talk about it, as we've discussed already, um, it makes it, it helps us to make it better. Um, so by seeing that actually this affects everyone, not just them, um, then, uh, then it, it stops us from feeling singled out and isolated. Um, and that actually mental health is a, is a good thing to be talking about and, and looking at. Because we do, we do what, an hour? an hour of PE every week in school and we don't do an hour of, of mental health no. um, uh, or mental education or relationship should, education. Though, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I guess what hopefully what will happen is it will normalise these conversations about mental health, won't it? Yeah. So we're talking about emotional at the moment within a school setting. Do you think there's a possibility for emotional to go into sports clubs or into charities and faith organizations even into the workplace it's certainly something that we've thought about and talked about um education is our primary focus at the moment we do have other organizations using emotional um but they're they're around education so alternative education um, wilderness therapy that sort of thing Um, yeah and that's my background so so it's it's really nice for me uh, and and even um, a couple of the companies that I've worked for as an activity instructor have come to us and said oh we'd like to take out motion and, uh, and I say oh Paul I used to work for you uh, so it's uh, it's really nice to see that come full circle definitely so then between those two different sectors like you said the um the wilderness activity versus the school is there scope for them to then communicate about the child maybe the child is very different in their outdoor environment versus quite withdrawn in school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we can show the difference between the two settings. Um, the school can, um, we're working on a feature at the moment where the school can grant access to certain children um, for other settings to um, have different levels of visibility of what's going on for that child. So they might be able to just submit a snapshot or they might be able to see previous snapshots and previous programs so they can see where things are going. Um, and then the school, as the, the sort of custodian of that yeah. child's data, um, can see the impact of, of that extra work. So um, is sending Billy to, uh, to forest school, um, is, it, is it helping? Yeah. Is it beneficial? Um, and if so, who, who else should we be sending? Uh, because it is so good because yeah. Billy needs to be outside he needs to see trees he needs to get fresh air he needs to get exercise yeah. um, and adventure therapy does all that for him
Definitely. I guess it comes back, you mentioned um, snapshots before, and I guess you don't get an overall picture of the child because they're only at school six hours a day, which is a lot, but where else are they? So, like you said, it sounds like this could really become really interactive and everyone's sharing information to actually understand this is the overall big jigsaw puzzle that makes up Billy's life. And here are all the different pieces coming together so we can actually see what he's experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the projects that we've, that we've really enjoyed being involved in have looked at uh, the, the wraparound support for children. So not just the school, but involving parents and the rugby coach, yeah. the, the person leading the choir, um, whoever's running ballet, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So if, if we can get all adults around the child's singing from the same hymn sheet, um, then that can only be a good thing. That actually sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so if people wanted to get in touch with you to learn more about Motional, where can they do that? Oh, well, they could go to our website, motional.io, um, or they can email us, support at motional.io, um, uh, or find us on Twitter. Perfect. Um, what we'll do is, for all our listeners and our show notes, we'll have links to the website and to the email so you can contact Neil or one of the team members at Motional. And thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a really been fantastic a conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much. No worries. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com.